Well, good morning, and I'm glad that you are here this morning. If you would, go ahead and meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3. Uh, as you do that, let me welcome those of you who may be new with us. Um, my name is Kyle Valera, and I serve as one of the pastors on staff here, and I am very thankful uh, to be opening God's Word with you this morning. Uh, before we dive into our passage this morning, I do want to share with you about uh, our baptism celebration that's going to be happening on the backside of our next service, the 1045 service in the worship service. We've got seven people right now lined up for baptism, but even through this, uh, this hour, if uh, you have professed Christ and, and you want to be baptized, we are ready and prepared uh, to do that even today. Uh, if over the course of this morning, God grips your heart and you know that you've never professed Christ and he leads you to do that this morning and you want to make that public through baptism, we will have that lined up for you as well. So uh, if you want to stick around uh, through the next uh, hour, whether through life group or serving in some capacity, and then uh, join us in the worship center at the end of the next service for that baptism celebration, it is going to be really, really good. So just want to share that with you this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series. Uh, you may have heard about it uh, called Let's Talk About It, in which we are going to take God's Word and apply it to some of the more pressing issues of our day. Because the reality is each of, each of us is facing um, these matters. We're being confronted with these types of things, some of which we never could have imagined even just a decade ago. And if we're going to respond to these things with truth and love, then we're going to have to approach them from the perspective of God's Word. And that begins with today's topic of mental health. These are not out there issues. This is not something so that we can be prepared to talk, ju just so that we can be prepared to talk to people out there. If, as it's commonly defined, mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being and how it affects our thoughts, feelings, and actions, then there isn't a person in this room that that does not impact. But sadly, what has happened over the last 100 years, even within the church, is that Scripture has come to be thought of as insufficient to address many of the most tangible challenges of our everyday life. And no doubt, this has only contributed to what we find in our world today. This past February, a major study by the CDC found that almost 60% of teen girls experience persistent sadness or hopelessness. And almost one in three has seriously considered taking their life. Among boys, the figures are lower, but they are still extremely concerning, with almost 30% experiencing persistent sadness or hopelessness, and just under one in six having seriously considered taking their own life. So when Tim, Brian, and I sat down to discuss what issues we should speak about in this series, there's a reason why this morning we're talking about mental health. Because the Bible isn't silent about our thoughts and feelings and actions. In it is wisdom and understanding 
and depth, this world cannot match. Yes, there is absolutely a place for physicals and exercise and medicine. I'll get to those things a bit later, but in the scriptures, we come face to face with our God who knows our hurts and regrets and weaknesses far better than we do. And as we'll see this morning, he doesn't merely give us Instagram inspiration. In Jesus Christ, God gives us himself. He comes near to us and he walks with us, giving us the strength and the wisdom and the hope to persevere. So with that in mind, we're going to take a look at our passage this morning. If you are able to stand, let me invite you to do so in honor of God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. None more, uh, we're none more thankful than when we're in periods of suffering. Because in your word, we, we see you. In your word, we we come face to face with you, and we need that. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in and through your word this morning to minister to us and equip us that we might be your faithful people. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And be seated. So, over the course of these nine verses, Paul uses the word comfort in some form ten times. In fact, in 2 Corinthians alone, the, the entire letter, we see 29 of the 59 occurrences of this word in the entirety of the New Testament. So if we're going to appreciate what Paul's getting at here, it's crucial that we understand what this word comfort means. Because point number one, Paul says that God is the source of all comfort. And at first, that seems, it seems pretty straightforward. Comfort refers to the, the soothing of pain and hardship and distress. But what's interesting is in the New Testament, the word that we translate comfort in this passage as 
it has a broader use that I, that I think gives us a little more depth to what Paul is actually speaking about in this opening passage. For instance, there are times when this same word translated here as comfort is used to describe the action of encouraging, exhorting, even urging someone to do something. In chapter 5, the word is used to describe God making his appeal to sinners to be reconciled to him. In chapter 8, this same word is used for Paul's urging of Titus to complete his work among the Corinthians. In chapter 12, it's the same word that Paul uses to convey when he's pleading with God to take the thorn from his flesh. So you can see that what we're dealing with in this word comfort is more than just the alleviation of pain or distress. It's speaking about God spurring us on when we're suffering. It's speaking about us urging others to keep believing and to keep walking in faith when they are near to giving up. No doubt there is a true sense that God is drawing near to to soothe us and to console us. That's true. But there's also this other sense to the word in which God is drawing near to us to call us to keep fighting, to keep battling, to keep moving forward. And this adds another side to this passage so that when Paul calls God the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, we get a much more dynamic view of God that comes to the surface. He's not just the father who draws near to us to bandage our wounds. He is the father who also says, now son, now daughter, let's keep going. And we're promised that this help and encouragement applies to all of our sufferings. We don't know the specifics um, uh, uh, as far as Paul's distress that he's speaking about here at this point. But the rest of the letter does give us some insight. Paul writes of countless beatings, several imprisonments, multiple shipwrecks. He speaks of hunger and thirst and the daily anxiety, the daily pressure that he has with ministering and leading churches all across the Roman world. And so the lack of of detail here in chapter 1, I think, really invites us to the idea that all of our affliction is in view, all kinds of affliction. In any and all of our troubles, God is drawing near to us in order to care for us and to spur us on to keep going. But this is only true as we are united to Jesus through faith. In Christ, we are promised that our suffering is not meaningless or ineffectual. In Christ, we are guaranteed that our God sees our need and will give us all that we require to live for him. In Christ, we are assured of a hope that God can overcome the darkness, has overcome the darkness, and that pain and death will not have the last word. In Christ, we have a family of faith so that we can bear one another's burdens and not live this life alone. In Christ, we are strengthened in our inner person by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can live faithfully for him. And in Christ, we have God's commitment that he will never leave us. He will always come to find us and that what he's begun in us, he will bring to completion. These are not hyper-spiritual realities that have no meaningful consequence to our day-to-day lives. These are the things that our Creator and our Redeemer say that we need in order to endure and to persevere. 
So that when we talk about the help and the comforting urging of God, we are speaking about tangible realities that empower and guide us as we navigate the various trials of life that we face. And God does this not only for our good, but for the good of those around us, because point number two, both our affliction and comfort are bigger than us. Look at verse four. It says, God is the one who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Suffering has a way of, of turning me in on myself so that my perspective of life and my perspective on my purpose shrinks only to that which concerns me, myself, and I. That's what suffering does to us. It narrows our gaze to ourselves. But here we see that the ministry of God that he expresses for our good is also intended for the good of those beyond us. He does not just help and comfort you for your sake. He does it for the sake of those who are around you. How many times have you been encouraged in your weaknesses, in your trials, by, the re by reading of, of believers in the past like David and Ruth and Mary and Paul? Like how many times have you been, have you gone another day? Have you endured another struggle because of that other person who knows what it's like, who's been where you have been? You see, when we have truly found our comfort in God, then we look outward in order to comfort others. In Christ, we are privileged to know that while our suffering is real and it's painful, it is not capable of making us unusable for the purposes of God. Instead, our pain is oftentimes the key to doors of effectiveness in ministry that would remain locked to us if we had not gone through that pain in the first place. And I know that as I say that, it comes off a lot easier to say than to live. But the difficulty of truth does not negate the truth of truth. If you're a son or a daughter of the king, God intends to shape you by what you've gone through or what you're going through in order that your heart would be more dependent on him and more effective for the work of ministry that he has called you to. Insofar as you are empowered by and directed by the Spirit of Christ in your sufferings, then how you persist with them and through them will point your fellow believers to the Savior you both serve. Because being united to Jesus, our suffering and our comfort are shared. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, because you which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now, what I think Paul means when he says that we share in Christ's sufferings is what we saw during the Easter weekend, that suffering is central to the work of Jesus. There was no resurrection without death. There was no redemption without the cross. Suffering was key to the work of God. It was key to the work of Jesus on our behalf. But in Scripture, God has also been clear that suffering is also key to how he works in and through the lives of his people. From Israel in slavery 
to Hannah without a child, God has always made suffering of his uh, suffering one of his main theaters to demonstrate his goodness and his faithfulness and his power in the lives of his people. And the same is true for anyone who follows Jesus. We follow a suffering savior. And as such, we suffer like he did, not in the sense of redeeming anybody, but in the sense that God's blueprint for redemption has not changed. God's blueprint for his work in creation has not changed. He still uses the trials of this life to refine us and to grow us and to make us more like our Savior. You cannot grow to be more like Jesus and expect to escape suffering. If the perfect God-man, Jesus, learned to understand and express his total dependence upon his Father through suffering, certainly we who are imperfect followers of Jesus should expect to do the same. Yet don't miss this. Paul says because we share in his sufferings, we have a sure and steady confidence that we will also share in his comfort. Because again, as we celebrated last week, Jesus isn't just a suffering Savior. He's a risen Savior. And therefore, Jesus is our source of hope. As long as he reigns victorious, then our darkness, our disappointment, our depression, it will not have the final word. The tomb being empty means the trial will pass. The pain will cease. The struggle will end. Life will have the last word. Death will not. In this life or in the next, it will end All darkness will end. All pain will end. And if Jesus is our source of hope, then he must be the focus of our life. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of what we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we thought that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us and he will deliver us. He says, I don't want you to dismiss. I don't want you to misunderstand the things that we've gone through. Don't think our suffering has in any way called into question me being an apostle. This this is what the rest of 2 Corinthians will demonstrate, that people were saying, oh, Paul, you're suffering. Therefore, you must not really be a true apostle. Rather, Paul says, we've gotten so low and so overwhelmed that we thought God had given us over to death. But this was to make us rely on him. You see, brothers and sisters, from God's perspective, there are worse things than crippling worry. There are worse things than overpowering grief. One of those things is self-reliance. One of those things is self-sufficiency. He loves you enough to, at times, bring you to the end of yourself, to the end of your strength and resource, to bring you to the end of your knowledge and self-esteem. He loves you enough to do that so that you will rely on him when you have nothing left. And don't hear me like diagnosing what he is doing in your specific circumstance. That's not what I'm doing. But do understand that if in the middle of your suffering, you are relying on your own resource, then you can be sure that one of the things that God wants to accomplish in you is you abandoning those false and insufficient hopes. Neediness for God is maturity in Christ. Neediness for God is maturity in Christ. 
He is willing to make you need him so that you better come to know that you need him. And it can be painful. It can be excruciating. Some of you have, have experienced this. But it is, your, it is your father who holds the scalpel. And his cuts are meant to heal you. Paul says God is the one who raises the dead and it's on him that we have set our hope. In Jesus Christ, we see that God is able to work through the darkest of moments to bring about the greatest of triumphs. Suffering doesn't win the day for those who are in Christ. Yet at each time, at times, each of us needs, to, needs help remembering this. Each of us needs help living this out. This world is burdensome. The things that we go through are crushing at times. So we need help remembering these truths in those dark moments, which is why our fellowship and prayers are vital to others. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Paul understood that just as his suffering and comfort were shared by other believers, so was his perseverance. Through each other, we experience the presence and the power of God, yes. But as meaningful and effective as those things are to us, there's another way that God uses his people to minister to our souls. And that is through our prayers, through the prayers of his people. Do not discount the effectual power of speaking to God Almighty about the trials and ailments of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And like Paul don't be ashamed to reach out to other believers in, for prayer. Because far from being a sign of weak faith, it's a sign of that neediness that marks humble and genuine faith. Just as undergrown Christians don't pray, so undergrown Christians don't ask for prayer. Again, one of the signs that you've come to believe that you need God and depend upon God is that you ask God's people to speak to him about you. And not merely that you would be delivered out of the affliction. Notice that Paul's prayer is for mercy, for help in his trials. Whether they remained in the suffering or were rescued from it, Paul's main concern was that people would give thanks to God for the work that he was clearly doing in and through Paul. Because as one commentator put it, God's comfort comes through him either delivering us out of affliction or encouraging us in our affliction. And that type of praying leads to the building up and thanksgiving of God's people. Just think of how you have seen the goodness of God, both when he delivers people from their trials and when he enables them with the grace and the strength that could only come from him in their trials. This is one of the reasons why physically being here for worship is so crucial and it's so good for the building up of God's people. I see some of you worshiping who have been miraculously brought through trials, through terrible suffering, and you're worshiping, you're praising God, you're giving him glory, and that builds me up in my faith. But I also see some of you who continue to endure great suffering and yet you're here, you're singing, you're praying, you're, you're craving God's word. That also causes me to give thanks. 
This is why the fellowship and the prayers of God's people are so crucial for your walk of faith and my walk of faith. Because only in knowing one another, only in praying for one another, are we aware of and thankful for the work of God in each other's life. Because trials are coming. Trials will come. And if in this passage we've seen four general truths that can shape how we face them. One, God is our source of comfort. Two, our affliction and comfort are bigger than us. Three, Jesus is our hope. And four, our fellowship and prayers are vital to others. But I think this still leaves us with a need for us to connect these realities to the more specific issue of mental health. And to do that, we need to recognize that we're not shifting gears into some completely different focus. You and I are not going to find anything in the scriptures if we are looking for the, the phrase mental health. But if I go back to the CDC's definition I shared at the beginning that mental health affects how we think and feel and act, then the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. And if I'm not looking for the phrase mental illness, but I understand it as a form of suffering related to how we think and feel and act, then again, the Bible has a wealth of information and resource for us. And listen, my goal here is not to go into all the, the details, the ins and outs about psychiatry and psychology and various counseling methods. Like that's, that's a different conversation for a different time. We can have that at some point. My goal here is to reestablish within your hearts the truth that God has not been caught off guard by this massive wave of mental anguish that is sweeping our country. He's not been left saying, you know, I should have told them what they needed to know about themselves and about their struggles and about their purpose and about how to continue when life is terribly difficult. He has not been, he, he's not been caught off guard by these things. We as the church have laid down our biblical resource about these things. And the world has been perfectly fine picking up the mantle of being the guidance and caregiver to men and women in pain. But when we open our Bibles again, when we finally open them up again, we see that God is indeed the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Remember, this passage doesn't specify what type of suffering Paul and his companions were going through. But we know that at various times they struggled with how to think, what to think, how they felt, and what they did. They struggled with personal anguish. They struggled with relational strife. They struggled with circumstantial affliction. They struggled with physical weaknesses. And I think this is where the Bible takes the complexity of human suffering far more seriously than any other understanding of humanity. What I mean by that is this. The Bible presents human beings as possessing both a body and a soul. You are not just a spirit. But you are also not just a collection of human cells. You as a human being are both body and soul. You have an outer person and an inner person, which the Bible often refers to as your heart, the soul. Those two make up who you are. And life involves the constant interaction between the inner and the outer parts of you. This is why when you get embarrassed, what does your face do? You blush. This is why when you get nervous, you get butterflies, right? Your inner or spiritual self impacts your body, your outer self. 
But the opposite is also true. Your outer self can impact your inner self. Hyperthyroidism and elevated heart rates can make you feel like you are anxious. Anyone ever experienced hangryism? Being a little too hungry, which then leads you to be a little more lovely, right? No, irritable, right? You see, the outer person influences the inner person and vice versa. And we see this in the scriptures. God tells a depressed Elijah, get up and eat and drink. Because the Lord knows the weakness of his body is impacting his inner person as well. David speaks of his bones wasting away and his strength being dried up because he hasn't confessed his sin to the Lord and received God's forgiveness. And not only do each of us live with this personal interplay between our body and our soul, each of us lives amid differing circumstances. What I mean is that what happens around us and in our relationships, it affects us. The loss of a loved one is a real source of grief. The harsh words from a parent really do inform our thoughts and emotions. The diagnosis of cancer or the entrance of a newborn into your family's life, those things upend what your day-to-day life looks like. Where we come from, our family history, the family we're born into, these things influence us greatly. Moreover, as Christians, we know that life isn't random. But it's according to the will and purpose of God. Knowing that changes how you look at the things around you and the things that happen to you. It all matters. You see, the Bible intends for us to look at human beings in a much more holistic way by incorporating factors of our physical and spiritual and social self. Which is why I say the Bible takes the complexity of life far more seriously and comprehensively than our world does. Because here's the thing. The overriding understanding of humanity, of who men and women are and what they are, by many in the mental health world is that we are, that, is that who we are and what we do as men and women is merely the product of nature or nurture, biology and circumstance. They address the physical and the social aspect of humanity, but they leave out oftentimes the spiritual aspect. And because there is an aversion to or even a denial of the spiritual nature of human beings, the diagnoses and treatments of mental health problems oftentimes is severely hindered or even flat wrong. Based on how the Bible presents men and women, we know that problems with our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors can arise from physical causes? Yes. From spiritual causes? Yes. From circumstantial issues? Absolutely. Or a mixture of all of them. And discerning believers will take them all into account. This is why we cannot follow the world's lead in saying that every mental distress... I'm saying every mental distress and every mental illness is actually a medical condition caused by only a physical problem or a circumstance. We can't do that. Some things absolutely are. Hear me. Some things absolutely are, but some are not. 
It's why we can't go down the road of identifying anxiety and depression and sexual addiction and panic attacks and extreme grief as always being related only to biology or social causes or a mixture of those two things. There's more to the story that the Bible reveals, and therefore there's more to the story that we must consider. For instance, sometimes you don't need medicine. Sometimes you need to repent. But vice versa, the opposite is also true. Sometimes you don't need to repent. You need the medicine. And then at other times, you need both. Both medicine and repentance because physical weakness has partnered with spiritual weakness and that causes your suffering. You see, far from oversimplifying the the sufferings, God delves deeper into them than we could ever go for ourselves. And he provides healing that's deeper than we could ever give to ourselves. This is why God is the God of all comfort. This is why Jesus is the source of all hope. Because the Lord understands us in our problems and our sufferings far more clearly than we do in and of ourselves. And he's able to strengthen us physically, guide us socially, and lift us up spiritually. God never fails to fully deliver either from our affliction or through our affliction. And when we remember that our afflictions and our comforts are bigger than us and that fellowship and prayers of God's people are vital, then we more accurately can see our suffering and the resource that God has given to us. So, like, I know that's a, that's a lot to try to take in in, in one sitting. So what I want to do is kind of narrow things down and by addressing a few questions specific to this issue of mental health. And then I want to speak to a few, of, a few of the groups who are represented in this room. So question number one, does the Bible condone the use of medicine to treat mental illness? Yes, yes. In 1 Timothy 5 and in James 5, we have evidence of medicinal use within the early church. Add to that the fact the biblical understanding of the human of human beings that we are both soul and body and there is no reason to believe that medicine could not be used to treat physical ailments including physical ailments of the brain now as i say that let me also say that understanding what is physically caused and what might be caused by a spiritual or so- social issue, this is something that we must prayerfully discern through conversations with those around us and, if necessary, with a psychiatrist. No doubt, the worldly view of suffering, that so much of it is simply physical illness, has led to far more people being on medicine than ought to be. But psychiatrists and other medical doctors have been gifted by God for the common good of us all. And we are grateful for when their work leads to needed help. And as one of your pastors, I want to speak directly to those of you who are walking faithfully with the Lord. And you are doing everything you can, but you still find yourself needing to rely on these types of medicines for relief. You have nothing to be ashamed of. It says nothing about your faith. And that medicine that clears up the mental fog 
or that helps your mind to slow down. It is a gift of God's common grace to you for your comfort and for your encouragement. You do not need to resent it. You do not need to hide it. Rather, see it as God's expression of care through men and women that he has gifted to develop such help. Question number two, isn't all mental illness just a lack of faith? Absolutely not. Of course, knowing that our thoughts and emotions and behaviors can be caused by spiritual matters, we don't run from the reality that many times we experience mental and emotional and behavioral troubles because of faulty faith. And when that's the case, we shouldn't hesitate to call for repentance and change. But we also don't label all such things as a lack of faith because, again, we are not just spiritual beings. There are physical and social factors that can play into our lives, all of our lives. If today's world oversimplifies people's distress by saying that it's always physical or it's always circumstantial, we as the church cannot be guilty of oversimplifying it by saying that it's always spiritual. Sometimes it's not. Question number three, does God promise deliverance from all mental health issues? Yes. He absolutely promises deliverance from all health issues, including mental health issues. However, the timing of that deliverance varies from person to person. For some, the Lord brings healing in this life. But for others, as with any illness, the Lord brings that healing when a person crosses into eternity. Yet as we've seen this morning, it's what he desires. If that's what he desires for his people, that, that they continue suffering longer than they want to, then he promises if they will rely on him, they will, he will give them the comfort and the spurring on that they need to persevere faithfully. And this is where I want to speak directly to those of you who are suffering, those of you who have suffered, and to those of you who have loved someone or love someone who is suffering in these ways. There is a real sense in which more tangible, visible types of suffering are easier to live with because people don't question it like they do some of these more inner person sufferings. There's a real sense in which Inner suffering is harder to endure because you're the only one who can see it. You're the only one who can feel it. But your Savior is not struggling to see you or your pain. You're not alone. You're not the only one who sees it. God sees it. When your mind can no longer remember Jesus, take heart. Jesus remembers you. When your mind is clouded and consumed by the worry or the depression, take heart. Jesus continues to think clearly and he thinks about you. And his power to daily lift you up remains. When your grief is heavy and that sorrow seems to linger longer in you, in you than it does seem to linger in other people's lives, take heart. Your suffering Savior knows grief and he will shoulder the weight with you. When life no longer seems worth it, and it appears giving up is easier, it's the better way, take heart. The one who has conquered death sees you, he hears you, and he exposes that that is a lie from the pit of hell. It is going to be worth it because he is worth it. And you are never, ever 
alone. If you ever believe, and I I want you to hear me, anybody in this room, if you ever, ever believe that taking your own life is the direction you need to go, I plead with you to reach out and help us to shoulder that burden with you. Don't go down that road. You are not alone. Christ sees you. He loves you despite what your feelings and thoughts may say to you. Brothers and sisters, it is okay and it is normal to hurt. It is normal, it is okay to hurt deeply in a world that is marred by sin. But we approach these things, we approach this topic not only as sufferers, but as those who are more than conquerors. If you are in Christ, you are not hopeless. If you are in Christ, you are not without resource. If you are in Christ, you are not alone, you are not abandoned, you are not forgotten. We as the church, we, we as the church, Liberty Baptist Church, we need to grow in our ability to minister to those whose sufferings we don't quite understand. The scriptures and the church must not be afterthoughts in our mind when it comes to these issues. And we must grow in coming alongside one another in these types of trials. Beginning today, online, we have on our website a a page with all sorts of resources that we will be updating throughout this series. Different issues, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, whatever it is, we're going to have resources on there. And if you don't see a resource that is helpful to you, if you don't see something that addresses what you have to do, reach out to us. Our biblical counseling ministry is here to help. We're pastors on staff. We're here to help you to resource the things that you have questions about, the things that you're suffering through or a loved one is suffering through. Any way that we can help you, let us Because we are all in this together. And we are all seeking to serve this God of all comfort by being a conduit of his his comfort in the lives of one another. Because make no mistake, with all that is going on around us, some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this series, the need for the people of God to be messengers of hope and healing, that is only going to grow. It's only going to grow. As people buy into the ideologies and the things that are being sold in this world and they see that those things are empty and they don't lead to fulfillment, they don't lead to happiness, there is going to be a terrible result. But we as the church can stand alongside these people and say, we know the one who can comfort you. We know the one who can bring you hope. And his name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. If we serve the God of all comfort and in our own afflictions, we've experienced his comfort, then we must be ready and willing to extend extend that same type of comfort to those around us. There are a lot of people that are hurting, a lot of people in this room who are hurting. I pray that you would know the God of all comfort. Pray that this day you would know Jesus, who is the source of your hope. If you've never turned from self-sufficiency, if you've never known the freedom of forgiveness, 
If you've never known the one who can bear your burdens, let me tell you about him. He came and he lived the perfect life that you have not lived. He endured great suffering. After being tempted, he was without sin. He was put on a cross to pay for the penalty of sin. And he died there. And three days later, he rose from the grave to say to a, a hurting world that he had conquered sin and despair and all illness. He had conquered all death and depravity. And he offers to us all comfort and hope if we will but trust him. If you will but trust him. He will redeem you. And he will walk alongside you to that place one day where all of those things that trouble you are no more. Are no more. That is our hope. That's the hope that we have as we endure suffering. It's the hope we look forward to on that day when there will be no more suffering. So I pray that you would know him. I pray that today would be the day where you call out to him for rescue. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I want you to call out to him. And I want you to know that he hears you and he sees you and he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are the God of all comfort. I pray for the man or woman in this room who needs to experience your comfort, who has experienced great pain or is experiencing great suffering. I pray that you would meet them where they are. You would be the lifter of their head. I pray for the one who is weary the one who has gone through great suffering or the one who is? God, would you be the one who divinely empowers them to keep going? To actually believe that it really will be worth it. And they can trust in you. That you see them. That you feel their pain. You don't take pleasure in it. But God, you are working. You are working in it. And you will deliver them from it. I pray that they would know that. For the one who has struggled with any form of mental illness. God, help them to discern how they need to move forward. Whether it's making that doctor's appointment, whether it's reaching out to our counseling ministry or just a faithful follower of Christ, a brother or sister in Christ and saying, I need help. God, I pray that we as your people, we would see people in their hurt and we would be faithful to come alongside them. Have mercy on us for where we have failed to do that. 
God, equip us and raise us up to do that. We are so thankful for Jesus. We are so thankful that we can approach a topic like this that is overwhelming our country. And we can know that there is hope and there is freedom in Christ Jesus. I pray that today would be the day that our hearts are encouraged and built up in our faith or today would be the day where we we experience faith for the very first time. God, we need your Holy Spirit to move. Work in us as you see fit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask you to stand as we enter this time of response. If you need to pray with someone, if you need to hear more about this Jesus who is the source of all of our hope, I'll be here at the front. would love to pray with you or speak with you. If you just want to spend time at the platform calling out to God, absolutely feel the freedom to do that. You just want to lift your hands and worship this God who is the God of all comfort. Do that. If you want to gather around your brothers and sisters and pray during this time, you feel absolutely freedom to do that. Let us respond now as the Spirit leads.